Hello, welcome to the Grace Life Podcast. The message you're about to hear, if diligently applied, will absolutely change your life. We're praying that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him, thereby allowing the eyes of your understanding to be enlightened. Now let's join the service already in progress with Pastor West. Maybe seated. Well, good morning. Everybody happy and blessed? Good. Amen. Well, I want to thank Jamie and Michelle for for all that they're doing, and those of you here and those others who are helping them to do it, making Jesus famous all over again. I can't help when I. See what's, uh, what's happening. I hear what God's doing. I'm thinking about the scriptures and, you know, I've turned there, but I just want to read these few verses. Jesus said, Matthew 5, 13, he says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is henceforth good for what? Good for nothing. Wow. wonder what he really meant. But to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Then he says, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill that cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick and giveth light unto all that are in the house. He says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father, which is in heaven. Amen. Thank y'all for all that you, your hearts and what you do. And not just bringing, you know, bringing supplies of things that we, we seldom think of in the sense of we don't think of them being a necessity because we just, it's just part of your life. You know, you don't think about, you know, can I, can I find some soap? Can I afford soap? Or can I afford shampoo? Or can I find, you know, somewhere to bathe? I mean, we, we, we never generally have those thoughts, but, uh, or a warm place to sleep or lay their head. And so that to them is, is you know, or that, or what I'm going to eat is kind of the biggest part of their day. But that bringing those necessities gives you the right to preach the gospel because the gospel is good news and it's a gospel of power, but it's a gospel of power because first it's a gospel of love. Amen. God so powered the world. Oh, no. God so what? He so loved the world. And if God so loved the world, he was willing to use the power. Amen? God so loved the, the, the world that he gave his only begotten son. So thank you for all you do. Got a message this morning. <clears throat> we ministered here before. really felt in my heart to, to minister. It's, it's, um, I wouldn't say it's not for baby Christians, but I think we... Don't need to cater just to babies all the time because uh, everyone here should be pretty well trained. And if it's not, if you haven't grown up, today's a good day to grow up. Right? I mean, we don't start off in the 12th grade. We start off in kindergarten and grow the way up. But, you know, it's like the guy said one time, he said, I love the eighth grade so much I did it seven times. Well, <laughs> well let's, don't, let's don't have a redo of something that we've already done over and over and over again and just refuse to to advance and go forward. Uh, if you want to follow along in Scripture, I'm going to move pretty quickly. Uh, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus said, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And he healed every sickness and he healed every disease among the people. And then Matthew 12, 22, so they brought unto him one that was possessed with a devil blind and dumb, and he healed them so much that the blind and the dumb both spake and saw. Verse 24 says, But when the Pharisees heard it, they said, This fellow doth not cast out devils, but by Beelzebub, the prince of devils. Jesus knew their thoughts and said unto them, Every kingdom that was divided against itself was brought to desolation. And every city that has divided itself shall not stand. And if Satan cast out Satan, then he is divided himself, and he shall not stand. But if I cast out devils by the Spirit of God, 
It's because the kingdom of God has come unto you. So Jesus proved that when the gospel of the kingdom is preached, it's preached in power. It's preached in the power of the Holy Spirit. It brings results. And so many of the unbelievers of the world don't believe on Jesus Christ and, and uh, receive His Lord until they see a demonstration of the love of God. Until they see that love demonstrated, whether it's, uh, you know, giving someone a cold glass of water. I mean, the, the, Jesus says, you can't give anyone even a glass of water in my name. That he says that I don't know it. He said, what you do to them, he says, you do it as unto me. Now, he said the same thing to Saul of Tarsus when he was persecuting the church. He said, why do you persecute me? He said, because what you're doing to them, you're doing to me. And that's something how Jesus takes it personal, what you do to others. Whether it was Saul, you know, who was uh, bringing havoc upon the church, or whether it was the good deeds that, that we do for people, Jesus takes it personally. And then Matthew 24, 14 says, The gospel of the kingdom shall be preached unto all the world for a witness to all nations. Then the end's going to come. Did you know we're closer to the end than we were yesterday? The gospel could be preached around the world, but it'll be, be preached for, as a witness. As a witness. The word witness means something evidential, something with proof, something with evidence. Uh, Webster says, in the court of law, the attorney who can present his case with evidence, with proof of his argument, generally will win the case. This is what Paul said about the gospel. In 1 Corinthians 2, uh, verses 4 and 5, he said, my, my teaching, or my speech and my preaching, was not with, with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, that your faith would stand in the wisdom of, in the wisdom of men and not but in the power of God. In other words, Paul said, I didn't come here to speak eloquently to you, which he could have. Paul was very eloquent. He's very educated. And he says, but I didn't come uh, for you to be arousal by my, my, you know, my display of how I can uh, bring scriptures and, and, uh, and teach you in depth about the scriptures. He said, I came not in my strength and not in my wisdom, but to bring, but to bring the gospel. And that gospel will be a, bring a demonstration of the spirit and the power. And then the CEV translation of verse 4 says, but when I talked to you or preached, I did, not have, I did not try to prove anything by sounding wise. I simply let God show his power. This way you would have faith because of God's power and not because of human wisdom. The, the GNT translation says, My teaching and my message was not delivered with skillful words of human wisdom, but with convincing proof of the power and of God's spirit. I want to talk just a few minutes this morning about something we've addressed before. And uh, sometimes we have to hear saying things over and over again because of a mindset that we've had sometimes for life. And it's, it's kind of what we think of church sometimes and what the church is. The kingdom was mentioned well over a hundred times just in the New Testament, but the church was only mentioned twice. It seemed like God's trying to make a point. Now, by two or three witnesses, let every word be established. And you say, was well, the church irrelevant? No, the church is not irrelevant. Jesus is the head of the church. But, but it's how that we facilitate that and how we see church. Sometimes we see church as a location. We see a church that has a location. And, and some people say, well, it's, it's, a, it's a building that has a steeple or, or not. And it has people. And it has a pastor, and that pastor is someone who's called to preach messages, and I go and listen once a week and, and uh, kind of do my, my Christian duty. Well, if you're, if, you're, if you're coming to church to miss hell, then you've missed the point. Hmm? Now, I'm all for missing hell. How about you? You don't want to be in hell, but that's not the point. Jesus came to bring you life, not save you from hell. Jesus come to bring his life, eternal life, the God kind of life. 
And um, so he, he came, the Bible says, and he put himself in us in the new covenant so that he could live his life through us. I always think about something T.L. Osborne said that, that uh, God had to make a decision one day from the old covenant to the new covenant. Well, no longer would man go to the holies of holies to meet God under very strict rules and regulations. But that God would, in the new covenant, it would be God in you. That you would become the temple of God. So God had to ask the question of himself, if, if it's no longer the way it has been, if not, they come to me and they come to the inner court and they come, you know, bring in their, 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 their lamb, you know, their, their goat, their calf, whatever they have to, for the uh, priest to offer sacrifice. If they come to me, you know, for a covering of their sins and then they come to know my presence that way. Well, Moses would say words that we have to understand that was applicable to his day, but it's just not simply applicable to our day. Moses, you know, said these words. He said, Lord, do not send me somewhere that your presence does not go with me. Well, that sounds like wisdom to me. But it's not wisdom for your day. You are the temple. You are the temple. You are the light. See, in Sunday school, I was taught that Jesus is the light of the world. Was y'all taught that? But I don't remember them telling me that I was. Huh? Well, he is the light of the world, and he remains to be the light of the world because he's in you. Colossians 1.27, Paul said, God hid this for ages to come, but now it's ready to be revealed it's the greatest mystery that ever can be told. He says, and here it is. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. We think of God as, you know, God having a throne. He does. But he also has a throne in you. Our friend Joe Morris said, you, that makes you a mobile throne. <laughs> in other words, <laughs> and if it's not, then we're not accomplishing the will of God. You see, the people that was ministered to yesterday wasn't coming here. They didn't have any means to come here. They had need, but they had no means. Go into all the world was not receive them. Go into the world was you, the church, go. Right? You, Christ in you, go. You know, whether it's that or whether it's just uh, going in life. Whether it's going when you meet someone, you know, at work, whether you meet someone at the gas pump, whether you meet someone wherever you are, and it's, and it's the Christ in you. It's in you being the witness, you being the proof of the Christ. Uh, you know, someone said, well, you don't, you don't need to think of yourself more high than you ought. Well, that's true. The Bible says that. But you don't need to think of yourself too lowly either. If Christ is in you, and, it, and it's the hope of glory, then he has done something very special in each and every one of us. Paul said, I come not to display wisdom, but to display his power and his glory. So the Bible says that you have this treasure in your earthen vessel. So T.L. Osborne said, God had to ask the question, if I choose to move out of the old covenant, you know, from a temple, and I move into people, Will I have to reduce my standard in any way? Will I reduce my will I reduce my power and its ability to be on display if I move inside of people? And and then from the from the physical standpoint, they become and the spiritual standpoint, they become the temple of God. Will I have to reduce me being God by being in people? And the answer must have been no. Amen. Now for the last 10 years or so. The church, by and large, not everywhere, um, actually a lot of places it's not, but by and large, the church has done a pretty good job of teaching uh, who you are in Christ. Um, but we need to take that further and not just say we know who we are in Christ. We need to take it further. It's not just Christ in you, but it's Christ through you. Now, it is true. The greater you come to know, and understand of who you are in Christ, the greater the work that he'll do through you. 
You'll not do much for God when you don't know who you are in Him. Philemon says that we are to acknowledge every good thing that He has done in us, that your faith will become effectual. How does our faith become effectual? By the acknowledgement of every good thing that He has already done, past tense, in you. But we have to acknowledge that. So we need to have a constant um, teaching and understanding and a proclamation uh, of who we already are in Christ, regardless of what you think or what you feel. Amen. You know, and I was kind of making it, it sounded almost, it almost sounded ridiculous last week, and I was making a contrast and uh, talking about, you know, not believing in one promise because of another one. And we was talking about, I think we was using Scott's example, he fell on a job and broke his elbow right there. And I said, the time that you fail, um, and I think they're on a cruise for two weeks, which I don't think is God, but anyway, hallelujah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, we're, we're going to vote on that next time, y'all, so we'll just let y'all know. Anyway, but he fell and broke his elbow. I, and, I, and I asked the question, I said, well, when you broke your elbow, did you question the rapture of the church? And he says, well, no. Why would I question that? Well, I could ask you this. Because of any kind of situation, circumstance, or pain, why would you doubt another promise? Hmm? How many believe the rapture is, 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 is par for the course? It's, it's going to happen? We don't know the exact dime, date, or hour, but we know it's, it's par for the course. It's going to happen, right? So you, you wouldn't doubt anything that you're dealing with in life that, that the rapture because of that, you say, oh, I got a pain, you know, in my back. Or I got a pain in my knee or I got a pain. So and so the rapture must not going to be take place. You say, well, that'd just be crazy. Well, then it'd be just as crazy to say I've got a pain. So by a stripes, I, therefore, I can't be healed. You understand my point? Amen. <clears throat> made a statement a long time ago and heard last summer. I'll say this. He said, if you want to know the will of God, he said, read the Bible. He said, if you want to be led by the Spirit, do the Bible. If you want to know the will of God, read the Bible. But if you want to be led by the Spirit, do the Bible. Much of what we've been taught about leading by the Spirit is incorrect. Where we have people who are waiting for God to speak to them to tell them to do something. Um, and really what that is, it's an old covenant mindset. It's not... It's not from the inside. Well, we know on the inside, being a temple of the Holy Ghost, it's God in us, right? Christ in you. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. I hope you're going to get some of this today. So God's not out there somewhere. God is in here. A lot of things I'll say won't be popular for for being in the Bible belt. But don't take it just because I say it. I want you to study the Bible. You know, we ought to study to show ourselves approved. Uh, the Bible says a, a, a skilled man, a skilled man, he takes the word of truth and he rightly divides the word of truth. So no matter what you've been taught, what you believe, or even anything I teach you, I, believe, I mean, there's things I've taught I don't believe myself. I mean, you know that you, the further that you walk with God, the more that you see. And um, so that's really no covenant mindset. Or uh, you could call it the externalism. It's not internal, it's external. That God's out there somewhere, and we have to seek Him out. Uh, that's the scripture in Isaiah 55, 6. It says, Seek the Lord while I may be found, call upon Him while He's here or near. It's a very popular scripture. It's going down and read, which says, our, our, you know, our thinking is not like His thinking. And, uh, but we need to rightly divide that word there. Let's see, uh, Isaiah 54. In 55 and 56, if you're making notes, they all deal with Isaiah the prophet prophesying. And he's prophesying the glory of the new covenant, which is to come. But in his day, he was saying that we, under his covenant, we need to seek the Lord while I may be found, call upon him while he's here. In other words, God is external at that point. And he is external until you get saved. Hmm? 
Then he comes and lives in you. If everybody in the church was doing what you was doing in the kingdom of God, how well would it be advancing? If ministering to people, be discipling others, what Jesus told us to do, his last words, if they matched, if everyone matched your your ability, if one matched, not ability, but everyone matched what you and I are doing individually, how well would the church be, you know, be, be known? Would there be sufficient evidence to convict you in a court of law of being an actual Christian if everyone was doing what we were doing? It wasn't the purpose of God that you come to church. I'm glad that you're here. We need to be here. We need the church and we need one another. We need to be taught the word of God. But the scriptures we read was, go let your light shine before men. The go light, the go and take a light, he's talking about take a light to where it's dark. Hmm? I mean, no one, I've never seen anyone at the beach during the daytime, during the daytime, walking around with a flashlight looking for them little, what do you call them, little snow, what do you call them? Snow crabs. But I've seen them at nighttime, haven't you? So you don't need light during the middle of the day to find a snow crab. But you take them out at night. Well, that's what, that's what our light's for. Our light is to shine into the most darkest regions that there is. Right? And uh, so Isaiah was prophesying about a different day. So Isaiah 54, 55, and 56, if you read them in that culmination, they deal with prophesying about the new covenant. Isaiah 54 is called the great atonement prophecy of Isaiah. And Isaiah 54 is the invitation to the abundant life and peace that will come. In Isaiah 56, he talks about salvation for the Jews and the Gentiles. But once you find him, you get saved. You're born again, aren't you? So you don't need to keep searching for the Lord. Now, the Bible says that he's called God, uh, Christ was called Emmanuel, God with us. Well, he is with us. That's correct. But the Bible goes beyond him being with us. You, you'll, see, uh, you'll see that word used a lot in songs. This time of year, you'll see it on Christmas card. He is Emmanuel. He is. He is God with us. But Paul said he's not just with you. He's in you. Amen. He's in you. Well, I'm just believing I'm going to do great things in 2020. And I believe the anointing is going to come stronger and stronger. Well, it won't. Now, that's enough to make a lot of people mad right there. Well, I'm just believing I'm going to double portion tonight. And I'm going to get a double portion. You won't get it. Zero times zero, zero. If you go in with that kind of thinking, see, that's, that's all old covenant. Hmm? Even a lot of our teaching on revival, and I know people say, well, I don't know why you're against revival. I'm not against revival. What I'm against is why, why do believers always need reviving? Believers. So you're talking about revival. You're not talking about sinners. Right? Revival is for something that once lived. If you're, if you're not born again, you don't need revival. You need saving. Right? But if you're a Christian and you've lost your way and you've lost your fire, you lost your zeal, well, then you do need revival. My thing is, oh boy, here it goes. If I could do my job right and you listen right, my job would be able to keep you out of revival. That you wouldn't need reviving all the time. Mm -hmm. Hallelujah. Well, you, you understand that. That We're talking about for Christians. Now, if you're talking about a move of God, that's something different. But I'm talking about where we, where we constantly need revival. Where we constantly need someone always encouraging us. Where we constantly need someone to always tell us things are going to be okay. Well... <clears throat> There's different stages of growth, just like there's kindergarten through 12th grade. So no one starts at 12th grade, and we're always, always in a process of learning. 
But you're starting at the place called complete, but the Bible says you're complete in Christ. Old things have passed away, behold, all things have become new. We all have to fight discouragement sometimes, or maybe even depression. Amen. But the reason why depression exists, and I'm not saying this, there's not a clinical depression. As a matter of fact, I believe that there is. But I think the cure is the same whether it's clinical or whether you bring it on to yourself. Hmm? I mean, you can, you can take pills all you want to. And they might numb you enough to, you know, to where you don't feel certain things and put your body in a certain chemical balance to where it, it helps you deal with it. Well, if you need help for a while, then get help for a while. But that's not deliverance. Jesus didn't come in the world to bring you a pill so that you could cope with life. Jesus did not drag you know, behind him a pharmacy. Luke was one of the disciples of Christ, and what was he? He was a physician by trade. I can't find one time that Jesus ever asked him a question about nothing physical. And Jesus had many opportunities, a lot of sick people, to say, Luke, what, what you think? Never asked him one time what he thought. Did he? So we ought, we ought to come to the higher truths. The, the problem is that we read the Bible in the sense that we see ourselves. Now, <clears throat> I always said it, and you've heard me teach it before, that there's, there's different ways when you're reading, if it's the Gospels or, or even the Epistles. Uh, but when you're reading the Gospels, you're seeing Jesus in the story, you're seeing the, perhaps a sick person in the story, and you're seeing the crowd and the reaction, Right? Or how about like the woman with the issue of blood? There's Jesus, there's the crowd, and there's the disciples. He's on his way, or he's trying to, he was going with Jairus to his house. But if, if you was in the crowd, who are you in the crowd? Are you the woman with the issue of blood? Are you one of the persons in the crowd? Or are you Jesus? Because there's three different perspectives in that one story, right? So there's all, there's, there was a crowd there. But the one that's written about is the woman who had the need. And we saw her approach to Jesus when she heard, when she heard that he was coming. But have you ever pictured yourself as Jesus in that story? And after that story, he finally gets to Jairus' house, but they come from Jairus' house because it took so much time with the woman with the issue of blood when she told it all. And I mean, she told it all. And they come and say, Master, there's no need troubling Jesus any longer, your daughter, your daughter's dead. And Jesus said, hey, he says, don't be afraid, only believe. That's all he said. Then they got to the house and people was already weeping and wailing. And Jesus told them, he says, why are you weeping and wailing? They said, because she died. He said, well, she's not, a, she's not, she's not dead, she's just sleeping. And they thought, are you off your rocker? And they laughed him to scorn. But Jesus had the last laugh. And he put them all out and just took the parents in. And uh, maybe a, a disciple or two, but, but the parents for sure. And he told her in her own language, he said to rise up. And she did. Well, who are we in the story? I think what's happened is we have seen ourselves as a disciple of Christ. But the disciples do not depict who you are. See, when, when before the cross... None of the disciples were actually saved. They didn't have a Christ in them as you do. So if you read the Old Testament, it's an external message. The only one who had God was the priest and sometimes a king occasionally. Or God would anoint someone occasionally for a certain function, then the anointing would come off of him. There was one time the prophet of God outran the king's horse, remember? But that 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 ministry, that uh, you know that anointing did not stay upon him to just run outrun a horse the rest of his life. So everything in the old covenant was external. Everything in our covenant is internal, internal. So when you read the scriptures in the old, you'll get, you'll get confused and you'll say, they, they said you know like David prayed that God would be able to use him and do certain things and pray that I would. I would have a clean heart. Well, you are clean in Christ. You've been made the righteousness of God. Yeah. David had a little insight in this. I think we read it a week or two ago, or maybe even last week, 
where, where David said, there's a time coming. He says, wow, these, this generation is blessed. Who's, uh, he says, there's a generation come. The Lord's not even going to, uh, he, he's not even going to recognize. He's going to, he's going to actually not even impute their sins to them. He says, blessed is the man who the Lord will not impute sins. Well, that wasn't in the Old, Old Testament. There was a lot of imputation. Amen. So who are you in the Gospels? Well, you're, you're not. You're not the woman with the issue of blood. Don't say, well, if I could just touch Jesus. Well, you can't because physically he's not here. So that leaves us out. I mean, I had a man years ago, and I mean, God bless his heart. I mean, I, I understood he was desperate in that sense. But, you know, and, and I can talk about it because you don't know who he is. And he was actually came from another church, and I called the pastor, and he says, no, if he wants to stay there, help him. I can't help him. He said, the man's, the man's just unteachable. And within two weeks, I said, he's right. He is. And he was dying, and, and he did die. But he, he wanted to know, could we put a, uh, he said, I can't get up on the roof and tear the roof and come down. He said, but do you think it'd be okay if we got a ladder and a couple of your men helped me get up the ladder and then, then I would come down, you know, to kind of symbolic the story of the man coming through the roof. And I said, he said, can we do that? I said, absolutely not. He said, well, I'm not going to hurt the ceiling. I said, no, we're not doing that. And I, and I wasn't, I, I was trying to explain to him that's, that, that's not necessary for you to be healed. He was trying to replicate something that happened in the, you know, in the, uh, in the gospels, hoping that Jesus would take notice. And, and he says, well, I, I'm trying to be healed. and I, I've only got weeks to live. And I says, the Bible says so-and-so. He said, oh, I know that. He said, I, I know all about that. I says, <clears throat> and I says, so, so you, you know it, but you don't believe it. Hmm? And now you're going to climb a ladder. Now this is what I'm going to say is going to sound really harsh. Really harsh. And it'll apply to me or anybody else. The Bible said to walk in the Spirit is what? Life and peace. But to walk in the flesh produces what? Death. Death in any form is sickness, disease, depression, anything that's being stolen, steal, kill, and destroy. Anything that's not of God is producing death. Depression in any form is death working in us. Ongoing sickness or, or disease is death working in us. Walking in the Spirit produces what? Life. Not walking in the Spirit produces death. So if we die prematurely of disease or sickness, it's because we walked in the flesh, which is another way we died of carnality. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Don't you like to know where you stand? Amen. So I'm preaching to myself as, any, as, much, as, as much as anybody. To walk in the Spirit will produce life. Peace. Well, to die prematurely is walking in carnality. Carnal, you know, carnal just simply, you know, we, we think it means something ugly. That means something ugly in that sense. God gave us our feelings but not to rule your life. See, it, it's, it, it's the feelings that we're allowing to ongo in our life that is producing, you know, your, what you're feeling right now, that's what's kind of running your life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So what's ruling your life right now is, most, is for a lot of people, is their emotions. And if, if, if you're giving in to the, the senses of this world, the senses of your of your body, of your what you see and what you feel and what you, all these things, which God gave us to bless us, but not to not to hurt us, not to rule an empire your life as an empire for your life. He said, "Let peace 
rule your life. Let peace be the empire. But if our senses are dictating to, you know, and our flesh is dictating through these senses, then we are, the Bible says, we are carnal. We are ruled by our flesh. And he says, and if you continue to walk in flesh, it will produce death. So anyone, me or anyone else who dies, before we finish what we need to do, whatever age that could be, I mean, you could get finished early. You know, I think we have a right to live to 120, but uh, that's, you know, Psalm 71 said until you're satisfied. Well, you may be satisfied at 46. Amen. I've seen some people do more in, tw- in five years than some people live to be 120. Just because you live long doesn't mean you fulfill God's will. There's a lot of old people. I mean, the, you know, the only thing worse than a fool is an old one. I don't mean you know be derogatory, but I'm I'm just saying, if you're going to hang around a long time, you're going to need you you you're going to need an assignment to do it. See, most people don't run out of physical well-being; they run out of vision, and they run out of hope. And something comes along real big one day, and and you hadn't prepared for it because you've been doing so much natural stuff. You know, you watch 700 movies a year. But you, can't, but, you don't, but you won't read a book. You won't read a Bible. You won't quote the scripture. Then death comes to bring the blood. You're not ready for it. Amen. So I'm, I'm, what I'm endeavoring to do is build strength here. Or I could just be real nice all the time. Make a lot of potato salad and coleslaw and chicken fingers at funerals. Amen. Now here's the deal. Until Jesus, unless he comes a lifetime, we're all leaving. But death is under our feet. There's nothing to be afraid of about death. Amen. Amen. And when you get to heaven, you'll think, I was fighting for that. For I mean, well, oh, I mean, I was trying to keep him getting here. <laughs> so from that side, there's no one over here discouraged at all that they didn't. But when they get to heaven, they see the big picture of the plan of God. And, and if you have loved ones there, they're praying for you now. You do know that people pray in heaven. Absolutely. They're praying for you right now to run, to run your race and to finish your course. But we're to, we're to walk in life. Walking in the Spirit, he said, will, will keep you from walking in the flesh, being ruled by your senses. So we're all going to have opportunities to let our senses try to govern our life and our decisions and our choices. And we can give in to them at any time. Sometimes we have. Well, we can shrug that off and go on. Amen. Some people say, well, you know, I'm believing for the double anointing. Well, it, it, it don't work that way. You're, you're, you're in the wrong covenant. The Bible says, well, you know, and, and even when you think about the anointing, we, see, we, we, we think about it. Generally, what you got to do is take what the church has taught you, and usually the opposite is true. Like the anointing. Whether or not the anointing comes and goes. Where'd you read that at? I thought he said, lo, I'm with you when? Lo, I'm with you always. So how does the anointing come and go? The people that we respect very well, they walked in all the light that they had and taught that. And, and I always got a picture of that, you know, like there's anointing to minister to the sick. And, and, but when I don't have that, I'll, I'll just minister in faith. I, well, I, I understand what you're saying, but you're telling me the anointing is coming and going. Now, it could be what it is, the anointing is, you sense the anointing so strong in your life, you're having a hard time operating that long under that strong anointing, but we just, maybe we just need to get tougher. I mean, every time the anointing comes on, you quit falling down. Stand up, do your work. So I had this picture, like, you know, when you sense the anointing come upon you, well, you got to run around the room, do everything real fast, because it, it may just leave any moment. What a, what, what a crazy way to have to minister. And what if you're the next to the last person who didn't get it like that? It lifted. Well, who got tired? You were the anointing. Why did it lift? I read scripture in 1 John said, the anointing does what? It abideth in you. What does abide mean? Stays. The anointing abideth in you. Did you ever read that? What are you going to do with that scripture? 
Do you see any lift there? Jesus said, Lo, I'll be with you always until I lift. See, all that's external. It's not, inter- it's not your covenant. So we minister under two covenants, and that's why we don't get many results. So we just tell people, we try to teach people, and, and there's nothing wrong with this. I mean, you know, you, you know where I went to Bible school. So it's right to teach people how to live by faith. But it's wrong to teach them they have to have faith to be healed. Yeah. It's wrong. Jesus never taught that. He never did it. Matter of fact, everyone he taught had, had no faith. They couldn't have. They were all lost. They were lost. They were murderers. They were thieves. They were adulterers. They were idol worshipers. And he got every one of them healed. When he fed the, the crowd with two fish and the loaves, with women and children, there was fifteen to 20,000 people there. And he ministered to thousands. And he got every one of them healed. Every one of them healed. He has to be the luckiest man on earth. <laughs> now the church can get one out of 40 healed. We're thinking, man, we, we, we knocked it over the fence. Mm-hmm. We're, we're thinking wrong. Mm-hmm. And I've been in them scriptures. I'm sad to say I've taught it. Tell people, well, when you have more faith, come back. Well, when they get enough faith, they don't need to come back. Why do they need to look you up when they get more faith? That's like going to a car wash and they're saying, that car is too dirty. When you get it cleaned up, bring it back. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I won't need to. I've already washed it. (laughs) That'd be like me taking cars to Nathan and say, you know, man, it needs a paint job bad. And he says, well, that thing's in a mess. He says, until you get it, you know, paint look a little better. He says, I can't take that in. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, let me go in there. I had a couple of friends painted their cars and, and they were proud of it. I, you know, I wouldn't name one of them, but you'd know his name. And I, he'd come by the office in my other church, and he says, come out there and look at my car. And I said, did you paint? Have your car painted? He says, I did it. I said, how did you do it? And he said, with a roller? I said, oh, dear God. And he was like, hmm. He said, I ain't got but a couple hundred dollars in it, and I thought you paid too much. Hallelujah. <laughs> you know how long it lasted? About four weeks. He said, this paint won't come off. And he went through a car wash. He left something in the car wash. (laughs) He had the money just as cheap as all get out. But anyway, Jesus said, the spirit of the Lord is upon me because he is what? Did you hear what I just said? The spirit's upon him because what? He's anointed. Why did the spirit come? Because he was already anointed. We've been taught the other way. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach. Why did the Spirit come upon him? Because he was already anointed. You are anointed and you are appointed. Why does the anointing come? The anointing comes because of your appointment. November 2016, the new president was voted by the citizens of the United States that gave him the electoral vote to become our next president. November, whatever it was, four years ago. It's always, what, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, somewhere in there. 2016. So Donald J. Trump was the president-elect. Was he the president January, he took the oath of office, placed his hand upon a Bible, and took the oath of office where he became anointed, empowered to what he was already appointed to. You have been appointed by Christ. That's why the Spirit came upon you. So to say we're looking for a, a double anointing, a stronger anointing, what are, you, are you looking for a stronger Holy Ghost? What are you saying? Now, can we yield to the Holy Ghost better than we are and sense greater power? Sure. Can we yield ourselves in such a sense? Yes, sure. Are we experiencing all, all the power that's available to us? No. 
But it's not because God hasn't sent it. It's because we don't know who we are. We haven't recognized it. Huh? And if we cut it off, it's from our side. When Samuel was anointed king, remember that? I mean, Saul who, and Samuel, the prophet, anointed him. God chose Samuel to be, or Saul to be the, the king of Israel. Remember that? That means he, God appointed him to be the next king of Israel. And after he had chosen him or uh, appointed him, he sent Saul to what? Anoint him. Why did Saul come anoint him? Because God had already appointed him. When David was chosen to be the king of Israel, who chose him? God. God chose David as the next king to succeed Saul. Then he got anointed by Samuel once again, the prophet. The spirit of the Lord is, is upon you because you've already been appointed. And church works in reverse. So we have an external mindset. We look in the Gospels and we don't see ourselves as, as the Christ. We might see ourselves as the sick person. Or we see ourselves as the we see ourselves as one of the disciples. But but the disciples have never the disciples never carried in the gospel what you carried since you've been born again. So they can't be your example. No disciple could be your example. Only Christ could be your only example. He who, who hath called you is God. He who hath anointed you is God. Amen? Now, moving right along. John said, we are in him as he is in the Father, and the Father is in us. Corinthians says that we are one spirit with the Lord. So when we think and feel God is out there somewhere, then we keep trying harder and doing more and more to try to get him closer. People say, well, one of my goals, I mean, be, a lot of people's goals, so I want, I want to be closer to the Lord this year. I don't, I don't really know what you mean by that. I mean, that's just a, I, I, I don't know. Can, can you from your side? Yes, you can recognize things. You can make time. You can, you can, you can pray and you can uh, be more aware, but you can't even be closer to him. People say, well, I'm just, I'm just, want to get closer because my prayers aren't getting heard and I just want to be able to get them to the heavens. Well, you're looking the wrong way. You don't have to get your prayers to get above the ceiling. Matter, matter of fact, I think one of the reasons why we bow our head when we pray because that's when we're talking to God. Our Father, hello, which art in my belly. Hallowed be thy name. Hello. Christ in what? In you, the hope of glory. Hallelujah. So to tell people they need more faith to be healed, Jesus, see, faith is of the believer's heart, right? So when, when did the scripture ever say, when did Jesus ever teach that the, the unbeliever had to have faith to be healed? I need the chapter and verse, please. I mean, if that's your argument, I need, I need chapter and verse and I need it to be line upon line. Or just give me two of them. Nah, heck, I'll just let you off easy. Give me one. Give me half of one. Jesus never taught that any unbeliever ever had to have faith to be healed. Hmm? They had every right to stone the woman with the issue of blood. I mean, well, her too. But I'm talking about the woman caught in act of adultery. They had the right to do it. But Jesus said, he says, I hold nothing against you. He said, go and sin no more. But he says, I hold nothing against you. So he never told the unbeliever to have faith. He told the believer to have faith. So if they're not getting healed, it's my fault. It's Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. Now, do I do the healing? No. But I'm the extension of Christ. As those who went out yesterday, you were the, you were the hands and the feet and the love of Jesus. Amen. See, Doing, doing that 
is better than telling them 400 scriptures about how much God loves them. Yes. It's a demonstration. I'm laying down at night and I'm freezing to death. You brought blankets. You brought warmth. Uh, you brought things for hygiene. I see God in that. I see love in that. I see hope in that. Amen. It makes me want to know your God if I don't know him. Amen. James said, we just don't go tell him a, a freezing man. I, you know, I got 14 coats of the house. Uh, I prophesy, be warm and be filled. <laughs> That's not Christ in you. It's the hope of glory. Amen. So Luke 17 says the kingdom of God is inside you. That you can look and say, here it is. Don't say it's, it's here or it's there. No, it's, it's inside you. It's inside you to rule. It's inside you to reign. Amen. So all those are old covenant mindsets. Go to, go to quickly John 15, if you will. We're right. John 15 in verse 15. Uh, I'm like, Steve Sampson said that not. I'm so glad to get past my introduction. That's the part that always bothers me the most. Joking. John 15, 15. Jesus said, henceforth, I did not call you servants. For a servant does not know what the Lord doeth. But Jesus said, I call you friends. For all things that I have heard of my Father, I have made known unto you. Now, that verse is packed. We need to really unpack it just to see a little bit more. We need to see that there's a difference between a son and a servant. Or some translations say a slave. There's a difference between a son and a slave or a son and a servant. You see that? He said right here that the servant does not know what the Lord is doing. But I called you friends and all things that I heard of my father I'm making it known to you because you're not a servant. You're a son. He said a servant does not know what the Lord's doing. A slave does not know what his master's doing. He said, but I don't call you servant. I call you son and I have made known everything to you. So if we don't know what our father's doing, it might be that we have a servant mindset. Now, it's okay to have a servant's heart, and we ought to have a servant's heart, but we ought to have a son mindset. That's why you came today, in case you didn't know. It's, it's right and good to have a servant's heart, but it's only right of, your, of, of, of the covenant which you live to have a son's heart, not a servant's heart or mindset. So when people sit around and they say, I'm waiting on God, it shows they don't know what God's doing or they're lazy. Waiting on God. See, a slave has to be told or a servant has to be told what to do, don't they? So they relate, uh, they, they, they relate to the master from a performance ability to what is required of them. But a son relates to the father out of love. They, don't, they never see him as a master lording it over him. And we're born to be sons, aren't we? Not, not servants or slaves. Go, go to Galatians chapter 3. We'll go through these really quick. Galatians 3, 26, and we'll read through Galatians 4, 1 through 7. Galatians 3, 26. For you are all slaves of God. By faith in Christ Jesus. Is that what your Bible says? No, you're all what? We're all children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For many of you have been baptized into Christ. You've put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither bond nor free. There's neither male nor female. For you're all one in Christ Jesus. People say, well, I don't believe a woman's called to preach. What are you going to do verse 28? 
neither male nor female. What's God, both? Didn't you come out of him? Hmm? And if you be Christ, then you are Abraham's seed. If you be Christ, if you belong to Christ, you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to promise. Now look what Paul said in chapter 4, verse 1. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a, is a child, he differs nothing from a servant, though he be Lord of all. Let me, let me jump over to the uh, Amplified. Now what I mean is this, that as long as the inheritor, the heir, is a child or under age, he does not differ from a slave, although he is the master of all the estate. He's talking about being born again or not being born again. He's talking about old covenant versus new covenant. He said this, this child will one day inherit everything, but his spiritual maturity is not the place that he, he can come and, and take what rightfully belongs to him. When you live under an old covenant external mindset, you'll never take what belongs to you because you, you don't know what God's doing. Or you're, you're afraid if I go do something that's wrong, God will be mad at me, so you do nothing. Or you can't teach or preach anything because the Lord ain't told you what to pre teach or preach yet. I know I had that one put on me a while back, a couple years ago. He says, why do I have to always tell you what to minister? Well, I want it to be the right thing at the right time. Well... He said, you know, Paul didn't operate that way. I said, Paul didn't operate that way. He said, you're, I said, you're going to have to show me that. So over a period of time, he did. He said, Paul never had one leading that you know of. You can't find he had but one leading of the Spirit. I said, well, I'm going to really study that, <laughs> study that out. Paul went as a missionary preaching the gospel everywhere, didn't he? There was only one time that he was forbid to go, and that was to Asia Minor. The Spirit said, I forbid you to go there. Well, does God not want people saved in Asia Minor? Was, was God against people being saved in Asia Minor? No. But what did he receive? He received a leading to go to Macedonia. Keep on following that, and when he went to Macedonia, what happened there opened up the doors of Asia Minor, so big, much bigger than what Paul was ever going to do. But he had to go through Macedonia. It's the only time that Paul ever that we had a had a leading. What what Paul did is he operated in the general specific, the, the general known will of God was to go preach the gospel, and in doing that, he got a specific leading. So until you get a specific leading to go and do this, then go do what he told you to, which should be a ministry of reconciliation. Amen. Corinthians says that he has given you the ministry of reconciliation. Which means when you find a lost person, it is the will of God. How many know it's the will of God for people to be saved? Amen. Do I need to read a bunch of scriptures on that for a second time? I don't do I? If you see someone who needs to, who, who, who's oppressed or possessed, does he want them free? Yes. How many believe that's the will of God? Yes. If you find someone who's sick, does he want them healed? Yes. Can we find one instant where Jesus would not heal anyone? Not even one? So it must be the will of God that be healed. And we know that he cast out every spirit, every, de every demonic spirit that ever came across his path, right? So it's the will of God to set them free. And then he says, now I've given to you the minister of reconciliation. So he's already given you, you and I directions to, to, to preach the, the good news, to get the lost saved, to get the sick healed, to get the depressed, the, the demon possessed, and get them free and get them delivered. That's what Paul was doing is he was operating in his call but, and he was anointed because he was already appointed. You've already been appointed to go into all the world and preach the gospel. You don't need a leading. Amen. You don't need a special word from God. If that's not special, I don't know what is. Well, I don't know if I should, I should uh, you know, go help people or not, you know, because the Lord didn't tell me to go. I didn't get, you know, I, I prayed. He didn't tell me nothing about it. Yes, he did. He did. He talked to you about it in the Great Commission. So we only find one time that Paul ever got a special lead, and that was to go to Macedonia, which he eventually went. The next place he went was right back to Asia Minor and preached the gospel.
So we do not need a visitation from an angel. We need to function in the call. So he talked about this in Luke 17, and I wish I had time to read it, but he talks about the unprofitable servant. Look it up when you get home. This is in Luke 17, 7, 7 through 10, he talked about the unprofitable servant. And it's kind of interesting because what's, what's, you know, why he calls him unprofitable? Because here's a man who, was, who would do what you told him to do. But Jesus said he's unprofitable. Well, you say, well, what could be wrong? Why, why, why would someone be unprofitable? Or if you own a company and you had employees, why, what makes an employee unprofitable? Well, unprofitable is that they don't do anything you tell them to do. But he even called the man who, who did what he told him to do unprofitable. How could he be unprofitable? He's unprofitable because he won't do anything unless I tell him to do it. Cameron, you ever had employees that, that, that didn't do much? Or you ever had employees that only did what you told them to do? And then you had someone that looked around and saw what needed to be done and went and did it. But, it, but Jesus called them unprofitable if I have to tell you everything to do. Yeah. You've heard me say it. I call them like wind-up toys. You say, go, you know, go pick up the trash. Yes, boss. Uh, 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 and, they, and they go pick up the trash. Then they stand there. Put it in the trash can. Oh. Uh, uh, uh. <laughs> can, can you leave that person by themselves and you go run errands for a couple hours? No. No. Because when you get back, they'll be just like a statue. Hey, boss. <laughs> what have you been doing? Waiting on you, boss, for my next order. Jesus said, you're unprofitable. Hmm? What do you do in the parable of the talents? There's one who wouldn't do anything but just buried it. We, we know people like that. Buried their, buried their treasure. Buried their talent. The next guy, he commended him. He'd given him two talents, but he went and doubled it. The guy that was, was five... He doubled his. The one who did nothing with it, he took it away and gave it to the one who had 10. You're going to meet people in life that that's the, that's the one talent. You're going to meet the two and the fives. Amen. If you want to become profitable in the kingdom, then don't just wait for a special leading. You've already got it. You've been given the ministry of reconciliation. You do not need to wait and hear from God like you're waiting on a bus. It's in the going, in the moving, that God needs to give you a special leading. You'll get it, but you'll get it in the going, not in the sitting and the waiting. God didn't give you just a prayer ministry. Hold down your applause, please. So God's will is reconciliation. To reconcile a person's spirit is called salvation. To reconcile their soul is called deliverance. To reconcile their bodies called healing. Is it not? Timothy 2, 3, and 5 said, For this is good, acceptable, that is, it is the will of the Father that all people be saved. Well, that's been given to us, the ministry of reconciliation. Amen. And they get saved through the reconciliation brought by the blood of our mediator, Jesus Christ. So once again, in closing, if a person is not saved, it is God's will to save them. Agreed? If a person is under bondage or oppression, is God's will for them to be delivered? Is, agreed? Yeah. If they are sick, is it God's will for them to be healed? Yeah. So if you go and you minister to the, the lost, those who need deliverance, or the sick, would you be in the will of God? Yes. Always? Always. Always. So if you, when you go minister, the minister of this good news, the gospel, you are in the complete will of God. Getting the lost saved, setting the captives free, and healing the sick. You do not need a special leading and you do not need a prompting. You do not need a greater anointing. The, the anointing is not lifting. Huh? No. Since everything's mentioned lines up with the will of God. I mean, you think about if you own a restaurant and you, got, and you got two waiters. And when it's not busy, one's just kind of sitting around waiting until you know, the people come in at five o'clock and the other one, well, he's over there moving around and she's over there moving around and they're sweeping tables, straightening tables and cleaning them all up and putting more napkins in the dispenser and they're making sure the salt and pepper shakers are full and make sure they got enough ketchup, you know, in the thing. <clears throat> and the other one's just like, 
You're just sitting there. And you tell him, George, go put some more napkins in there. Oh, okay. He, he does all that and he sits right there. George, need some, need some salt out. They have salt on the table. Got, got it, boss. George, yes, sir. Jesus said he's unprofitable. Hmm? Now, if your business belongs to God, and I've told this to business people, it's not real popular, but think about it. If God gave you, bus- gave you a business and put you in business, he's called you to be a, a king. There's kings and there's priests. Amen. In other words, he's called you to be a steward of it. So you're going to have to look who works with you, works for you. Jesus said, if they're not for me, they're against me. If they're not helping you add to the bottom line, you might need to talk to them. If that didn't work, you might need to replace them. Hmm? You can complain about them forever, but if your call is in the business arena, he's called you to be a paymaster of the kingdom to advance the kingdom financially. So he's, he needs to equip you and will equip you with everything and all the resources you need to make that business very profitable. But you cannot surround yourself with people who have a mentality of you owe me something or just have a job mentality. In other words, you can't have this unprofitable servant working in your company or running your company for you. And they wonder why it's unprofitable. Can you see that? You want to become profitable? You want to be well-known? Well, there's a guy who tried to cast a spirit out of someone. And they said, who are you? What are you doing? They said, well, we're, we're, we're preaching that gospel that Paul preached. And Jesus preached. He said, well, we know Jesus. We know Paul. Who are you, boy? <laughs> well, I'm just doing what they're doing. But he didn't know who he was. But he didn't know who they was, but that guy found out who they were. They jumped on him like a rat on a Cheeto. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> use it in mousetrap sometime. It'll work. Just, I mean, it's, <laughs> no, you just use cheese or peanut butter, whatever. Put a Cheeto on it. Rats love Cheetos. Now you have to get, you can't get the pus because, you know, it's just, they'll, you know, too much pressure on them. You have to get the, the crunchy ones. And you'll, you'll catch them in just about a minute or less. Rat will jump on that Cheeto, he'll take his whole life at that. And it, you'll go pick him up and he'll be like, <laughs> Hallelujah. So it's time for us to jump like a rat on a Cheeto. Get the law saved. Get those who need delivered, delivered in Jesus' name. Amen. Get them healed. Christ in you. He didn't say bring them to me. You do it. You get them saved. You get them healed. You get them delivered. Then come introduce them. I'm going to meet them. Amen. I call you blessed in Jesus' name. Amen.